Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, I'm Claire Phillips and welcome to episode nine and our final episode in this series of the camera podcast, Pubs, Pints, People. And today with me as ever are Ant Firillo and Matt Bundy and we're talking about home producing. Hello, guys. Hi. Hello, we made it to the end of season three. The end Amazing of work, guys. season three. Yeah, I've really enjoyed this one and I think it's been nice this season to see pubs actually opening partway through and us finishing off with pubs still open. So that's a oh, good definitely. omen. Uh, but yes, because it's our last episode in the season, we've got some housekeeping announcements to make. Now, as you'd expect, we're already planning for a great season four and we'd really love to hear your suggestions for topics, candidates for interviews and actually even if you fancy joining the podcast team in any part of the production, Maybe you want to come and join us as a host. Maybe you're a scriptwriter. Maybe you're good on social media and you want to take some of the Twitter and, and Facebook handles for, from us. There's lots of ways you can support. You can get in touch on Twitter or drop us an email to podcast at camera.org.uk. And we've got some dates for your diary too to fill the empty void when we're off air. I know you'd be missing us. And the first one for your camera diaries is our 50th anniversary pub quiz on the 1st of July 8 p.m. till 10 p.m. Now, who knows? I mean, this might be the final virtual pub quiz that you attend as we start going back to actual normal in-pub pub quizzes. Who knows? <laughs> well, that'd be great if it is. But talking of pubs, we also have a new initiative running over the dates of the Great British Beer Festival on July the 30th to August the 8th. And as you know, we had to convert the last couple of these into virtual events. But this time, the idea is to encourage our pubs to hold live beer and cider-related events and activities in late July and early August. So it'd be the Great British Beer Festival in your local. I'm looking forward to that being the hashtag on Twitter. Hashtag yeah. Great British Beer Festival in your local. Underscore. Uh, underscore. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you're listening and you, you, you think your local might be a bit pokey for it, don't panic. These don't have to be on a grand scale. We're thinking of special guest beers, mini beer festivals, brewery tours, cast condition beer and real cider promotions. You know, meet the beer sessions and guided tastings, all of that wonderful activity. And any camera branches, participating pubs or other venues, get involved. Submit your events so we can help you advertise and promote them. Let's get people back in the boozer. Definitely. And to save everyone for checking updates on the website when they appear, you can actually sign up for camera email alerts. It's a great way to make sure that you're up to date with our various campaigns, all the latest. And you can find a link to sign up for the virtual pub quiz, our campaign progress and the GBBF initiative. All of that's in the links section for this podcast. So take a look. 
And don't forget, we've got those Twitter twibbons and oh, Facebook yeah. frames, oh, yes. our, <laughs> our favourite things, to pimp out your social media profile, should you so wish. Finally, you may remember that uh, last time we introduced the new camera book, Modern British Beer, by Matthew Curtis, which comes out on the 12th of August. And you can also look up our intro to Modern British Beer content on Camera's Learn and Discover platform as well. And there's a link to that in the show notes. So we're talking about home brewing, home producing today. Have either of you guys ever had a go at that? Yes, I have, Claire. I mean, we've heard about my trials and tribulations of home producing of cider, haven't we? In uh, my my orchard, as I grandly call it, which is oh the massive a, a gra- orchard, they run over <laughs> the four apple trees in my grandmother-in-law's garden. Um, but um, home brewing as well, I have tried. Um, I've seen uh, my friend of mine's got one of these pinter sets, like a modern thing, it looks like a an iPod. It's like a massive um, red coloured thing, and he has some great success with that. But I tried a really cheap set. Um, a few years ago. I don't think it had uh, even seen a hop, to be honest. I think it, uh, it, it came with some weird gel stuff that you kind of used to um, to make the beer stuff. And it was, it was absolutely horrendous and also uh, kind of exploded a bit in my airing cupboard when I had it and had the most foul smell of it oh. kind of gone down and saw down there. So, so I don't think I'll be allowed uh, to try that again. Um, it's been a mixed bag at least. I feel like I need to get some proper stuff and do it properly. What about you, Ant? Have you ever done any home brewing? It's it's not something that I've ventured into as of yet, Claire. I'm, I really want to give it a go, and I think it's one of those. I'm just I'm just a tad nervous that with a three year old toddler running around the house and a baby <laughs> that's imminently going to be crawling to leave all that stuff at ground level might be a bit of a, a bit of a risky business. Yeah. But of course, I've got some friends and colleagues who've had a go at it. I've got a colleague at work whose husband produces some fantastic home-brewed beers, uh, and every now and then she'll bring me in a, a sample of his latest experiment, and I've yet to be disappointed, actually. And I've always I've always been quite inspired. Every time I think, oh, I must give it a go, I must give it a go. So who knows? Maybe it's my resolution uh, next year. I've been inspired to do it. I've just got to take that plunge. See, for me, it's something I've never actually wanted to do. I mean, surely that's what pubs are there for, aren't they? But um, my my former next door neighbour, Les, who I know he listens to the podcast. So hello, Les. Um, he had his own brewery in his garden. It was I mean, essentially it was a shed, but um, there was the proper shed for shed things. And then the shed that was the brewery. <laughs> shed for <laughs> and, shed things. Well, you like know, <laughs> lawnmowers and stuff, I imagine. Um, but the, this this shed was just for the brewery. And uh, yeah, he, he can produced some amazing beers from from there and and very handily needed a, a camera member very nearby like next door to to taste some of them so oh, well. um yeah best best of both worlds really didn't have to do any of the getting my hands dirty but um had a home brew shed on tap nice nice well you know what's going to happen next year don't you folks if you listen if of course you are a home brewer an avid one a starter a beginner maybe even an expert get in touch with us use that twitter handle at pubs pints people send us your snaps of you and your brews oh absolutely yes we'd love to see them now listen we've got a cracking couple of interviews today and i think it goes to show the different things that inspire people to get involved in home brewing now in our first interview john Rahm is talking to jem jones of the henley mile brewery which is a fabulous story of how a few mates came together in a shared passion to create the perfect session ale Jim, tell me, what on earth are you doing with this brewery? Uh, I think we're trying to recreate the the glories uh, of old. We we live in a little town called Henley Narden in Warwickshire, and we have a rather beautiful high street that is uh, half a mile 
long and historically had 28 pubs, several houses of ill repute and quite a few lunatic asylums. <laughs> um, and we think that that's a great thing to try and recreate. Well, at least one of those things, and I, I, I won't tell you which one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so so uh, when you say we, how, how did this come about? Uh, it, it actually came about with a, a friend of mine who was a, a landlord created a brew and uh, he only had a couple of casks of this particular ale and we decided we'd really love to re recreate it and uh, that was 2013 and we've had many conversations over some pints of delicious ale about how we can recreate that um, that beer now unfortunately several of the ingredients that he used are not available so we ultimately used that as a bit of a catalyst and we decided that we could keep talking about this or we could buy ourselves the brewing kit online sitting at the pub. Right. Um, <laughs> someone got their phone out and bought the brewing kit. Um, okay. Really with no thought of where we were going to put the brewing kit. Mm. And, and you're all experienced brewers, right? Oh, absolutely not. No, <laughs> none of us are brewers. There are three of us. We've all come from slightly different parts of the country and converged on Henley and Arden. So we, we've, we've all moved here. I'm, as I say, from the, uh, from the black country. A chap named Phil Cox, who is from Nottingham, an engineer from Nottingham, and uh, another chap named Matt Murphin, who is actually an ex-stockbroker from London. So the three of us form either the Three Wise Monkeys or any other analogy involving three, uh, <laughs> well, three anything, really. <laughs> There's definitely a cartoon here somewhere. It's been just great fun getting getting things wrong and perfecting them and getting them right to a certain degree. And, and we are um, very much at the beginning of this learning curve. But no, none of us are brewers. We are, uh, as I'm sure many people who wish to brew beer, avid residents of the other side of the bar. <laughs> and we haven't spent a huge amount of money on this at all. So it's, it's not a hobby that needs to be particularly expensive. Anybody that's got an interest in brewing could do this. Um, not necessarily a, 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 um, the same standards as um, the professional brewers, but we're hoping that we have a, a pretty drinkable session ale at the end of this for our efforts. We have really learned by boiling various liquids in various parts of the garage and not blowing anything up as yet. Excellent. Well, that's good. We didn't tell our wives either. That was probably the, the first mistake that we yeah, made. Maybe. You were saying you bought the kit from a, a guy up where I'm from in North yeah, Wales. Yeah, Powell Brewing, uh, if we give him a plug. Um, I think we will, yes. Yeah, we got a 100-litre kit from Powell Brewing that we, we went up to collect and had a night of researching local ale in Chester. Perfectly good excuse, tax-deductible research. Right. And brought it back and set it up in my garage. And what's happened since? Well, we've set the kit up. We're attempting to brew an amber session ale. We've done four brews of that particular recipe that we, that we made, and a couple of them have gone quite well. We were found on, I think, the second brew, three of us sitting around um, our mash tun, staring forlornly at a temperature gauge that was registering a good 10 degrees lower than we needed to be and willing it to increase by those 10 degrees, and it didn't. So Funny we have enough. had a couple of mishaps along the way, but the ale that we've got out of it at the end has tasted really quite pleasant. <laughs> Excellent. So is this enthusiasts with a bit of cash home brewing or are you thinking about commercial brewing uh commercial brewing definitely we decided that this was a perfect time to set up a brewery when there was nowhere to serve beer from hopefully we've got 
three or four pubs, three or four free houses local to us are, are willing to take the beer. So that'll be an interesting experiment when we when we get it right and consistent, of course. I mean, it's only a relatively small setup at the moment to enable us to perfect this particular amber ale. And we've also got a, a nice gold nail. It's very much been set up with the intention that it's a commercial venture. I'd, I'd love to hopefully have a second conversation in a few weeks because we've actually got a really interesting historical building that we are hoping to secure the lease on to to Bruin that Uh will have some really interesting angles for both the beer, for visitors, for uh, for people coming and having a pint actually. So how has lockdown and COVID and all that stuff affected what you were thinking you were going to be doing? Well, I, I suppose other than the fact that we were hoping when we had the rule of six that we were going to be able to have three other people in a sort of shift pattern come and have a pint on my drive right, right. <laughs> and then leave again and allow another three people to, to come and do that. So it's it's affected us and we're standing at opposite corners of the garage to keep our social distancing with the garage door open. So wow. um, it's it's affecting things from that perspective. But I think actually, to be honest, it, it's given us a, a free pass from a time point of view that we, we know we can't get this into a pub at the moment. We know we can't serve it commercially at the moment. We're hoping to serve some mini kegs from this particular building as well as getting it getting into pubs but i think it's allowed us actually to just brew we're doing a brew every two weeks at the moment so we're we're getting into quite an interesting cycle with as much as our kit will allow us to do our fermenter will allow us to do ready for the pubs to open again so i think it's as i say it's almost a free pass from a time perspective that we're we're not under pressure and you know i I feel desperately sorry for anybody in hospitality at the moment it's it's obviously goes without saying a hugely challenging time but we we're able to do this outside of our day jobs and needing to pay the rent on a brewery and brewing kit Mm, mm, mm. and do you stick to traditional type recipes or or are you going to experiment a bit (laughs) i'm an absolute beer smith addict and i'm creating recipes left right and center whether they will come to fruition i'm i'm running them past people who know far more than i do and some of them they burst out laughing and that's been <laughs> deleted that's put into the um we'll we'll do that we'll try that one later um we're pretty convinced that we want an amber session ale and a golden session ale we're not trying to go down the sort of very hoppy ipa yeah craft yeah. beer route we yeah. we're not none of us are particular fans of, of that type of beer yeah I, I like the sometimes the lack of complexity in a session ale i was born in the black country so a session ale with a bag of scratchings is about perfect it's about right about right yeah, or, or two pints and two bags of scratchings, then, then <laughs> it's rock and roll. <laughs> I'll have to put my name on a, on a mini keg, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. The the cycle that we've got now, with brewing every two weeks, we're, we're doing, at the moment, we are brewing the amber once a month and the gold once a month, and then we're going to splice in the new recipes as and when they, they come online. But I, th- I think, you know, we're... we're We've had some great help from some brewers in, in Leamington at a place called Beer Torrent. Great set of guys. That we've been getting their recipes from them, and we did our first brew with them. Um, went right. for a day, which was, which was great fun again. Mm. And the, the brewer there said he, he's never cooked the same recipe twice or never brewed the same recipe twice. He brews something different every time. I'm not really interested in brewing a different thing to get a different beer every time. Yeah. It's, I'd like to get one or two beers that we know are eminently drinkable. Obviously, if you're going to be commercial, you need to be able to sell a beer and it needs to have a name and people need to know what they're going to drink when they get it out of the pump, don't they? Yeah. Are you asking me for the name? No, no, no. Well, <laughs> but I've seen the names on your website. They're quite, quite good names. Well, we, we'd very much like to. We haven't actually... We, we've not decided on the names yet, but we, we're very, um, very keen to give the beers names that are relevant for 
um, for Henley and Arden. Mm-hmm. Um, there used to be a pub crawl called the Henley Mile. Right. And you started at one end. You went down the pub's one side of the high street, which is half a mile, surprisingly. Uh, you crossed the road, possibly crossed the road, and <laughs> crawled back the other side. And it's very rare that you made it to pub number whatever it was. We've got a huge amount of history, brewing history and alehouse history on the high street. So we'd like to keep the names of the beer to represent Henley and things related to the Henley Mile. Sure. So have you decided on the names? No. Right. Okay. <laughs> We've got Henley Mile Amber and Henley Mile Golden at the moment, so we we haven't we haven't got to decided on the names. And I think because of the couple of the pubs have um, have very kindly offered to have a a sort of tasting evening when we've got um, a commercially viable beer, mm. um, we're we're going to go to those pubs and probably allow residents of Henley to name the beers. So. How does it work out in the future then? If, if your beer takes off like like some marvelous flying thing, uh, what happens then? And people start demanding it. Are you planning to grow potentially? It, uh, the, the growth of, of a product like this depends on the popularity of the product. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we're going from taking up a new hobby in brewing and spending our weekends with our noses in bags of hops at the moment. And if the brew is popular. Who wouldn't want to own a commercially viable brewery? I think absolutely, we would. We would all love to take this as far as we can take it. I, I think our ambitions are fairly local at the moment, to be yep. honest. Yeah. Uh, I mean, again, it's one of those things. Wouldn't it be fabulous to walk into a pub on a Friday night and see your the pint that you've created being served? But it's a quite a crowded market, isn't it? As well as being a crowded market, it's it's not an easy market to sell into. It's a tough market. Yeah. But I think we're we're starting off small. We don't have huge costs. If we have a beer that is enjoyed locally, providing that quality is good every time and, and it's served with good scratchings, I think we'll be okay. So I suspect, sadly, some people will go under during this pandemic. So how do you see brewing in a sort of post-pandemic world? Um, well, wow. I, I, I guess the biggest challenge there is what happens to the pubs after after pandemic, will those pubs reopen even though the one that's in in existence now closes? I, uh, that that may be the case. Um, mm. f- I'm, a, I'm a pretty positive person. I fundamentally believe that we will be... We're so desperate to go out and go back to establishments. I'm hoping that they get a, an Indian summer at the end of, uh, end of COVID. At the moment, and I hope this is the case, I don't see behind the scenes, obviously, none of the pubs in Henley have closed recently. One's closed, but that closed a while ago. Nothing to do with COVID. But all the rest of the pubs are still in existence. From our perspective, we are such a small scale at the moment that COVID is not affecting us. You know, we haven't got fleets of vans sure. rent on a thousands of square feet of, of brewery. So we're very lucky in that respect. And yeah. as I say, there are, I think we've got within eight miles, I think we've got 37 free houses. And we've already got a couple of them are, are, are very keen to stock the beer subject to its quality, but just the fact that it's brewed locally. Oh, that's brilliant. Okay, well, best of luck with everything you're doing and with the you, building in particular. And definitely put me down for a mini keg of gold. I will indeed. Fantastic. I, tell you, I love Jem's passion that really came through in that interview. He's such a character. And his history of the Henley Mayo, it really reminds me of how many pubs we've already lost in our towns and villages. I was sad and inspired at the same time. 
I know it's you know um, it, it, you do hear so much about pubs that, that have closed, but it was great to hear the focus on session ale, and we do seem to love our strong IPAs and imperial stouts these days. But it's good to maintain what he called the glories of old as well. Mm. Yeah, I'm passionate about that as well. You know, not everything has to be smack you in the eyes with the, with yeah. the hops, and it's twelve percent can go a little bit towards that way, can't mm. it? Particularly on the craft beer end. But um, I think a real interesting key tip that. Uh, um, Jen gave for budding home brewers is to stick to a couple of styles and then just get them right. You know, instead of going for a scattergun approach where you're trying to do every one of your the styles that you've seen uh, lined up on a bottle shop, I think that's really good advice because that way you can hone the recipe and the production method. Ab- absolutely, because, you know, even some larger than home brewers could, could take heed of that where, you know, you think, oh, I really liked the beer that such and such did and you go to another beer festival and, you know, you see their, their range now is 30 different beers and, yeah. and sometimes, you know, just the one or two that, everyone really likes are the ones to to stick with yeah i know what you mean claire especially when you go to those sort of beer festivals and i'm i'm one right that when i go i like to try lots of things and i think sometimes you can be a bit too spoilt for choice if that makes sense and you know that's not to say that we should we shouldn't encourage people to make lots of different styles of beers but i agree sometimes there's there's that middle ground territory that people don't tend to go for because they want to try and create that next bizarre flavor or that next smack you in the face with hops ipa when actually sometimes what we're missing is that happy medium and as you've mm. rightly said Matt that session beer that I could have a few of these and, and enjoy them with some friends in a beer garden in the middle of the summer um, or the winter depending on what kind of beer it is sounds like that could be the name of uh, some craft brewers uh, beer that we're, that we're quoting the smack you between the eyes with the hops that's <laughs> got to know, be the it's, name it's probably going to be there. the name of someone's there so there you know caught you with your trousers down hop smashing lip smacking <laughs> uh, we, we, we just call it bow for sure <laughs> and you know I suppose the next logical step for a microbrewery is to set up your own tap room I know the microbrewery movement in the USA had a lot of help from what we'd think of as tap rooms here in Blighty uh, it's a great way for the brewery to generate some retail revenue and you've got that wonderful backdrop of gleaming brewing equipment that really adds a touch of atmosphere. Why don't we make that the theme for our Only Here for the Beer section? Let's think of a tap room if we can. Okay. As well. I don't know whether we've got they're all going to be in the good beer guide. As he's just flicking through it. No, well, I've got my luck? good beer guide to hand. Oh, and yeah. as luck would have it, I've happened to open the page at... Uh, I'm in York um, oh, on this yes. page. Page 490, the Brew York Tap Room. So there we are. Um, Brew York's tap room is inside the brewery and the beer hall in the adjacent Old Maltings. And this multiple award winning brewery offers over 50 regular seasonal, experimental and collaboration real ales. So uh, just going back to what we were saying there about scattergun approach. But, um, you know, there's all sorts there. I mean, things like, for example, gluten free ones um, and they're dispensed through 10 hand pumps. Um, and 50 key keg pumps. So there's, nice. there's plentiful seating by the um, by the brew tanks outside in the beer garden by the river, and there's innovative fresh food served with good vegan choices as well. So, you know, really, I'm guessing there is something for everyone. I've, I mean, I've been to York several times, but I don't think I've ever been to the Brew York Tap Room, so that's definitely on my list for, for the next time I'm in that part of the world. 
Actually, as I've got my good beer guide open on page 304305, because that's where I'm heading for this final one this week, I'm in Liverpool and the Black Lodge Brewery, which is over in the uh, Baltic Triangle. Teeny weeny 100 litre brewery hidden behind a shutter in Liverpool's hipster Baltic Triangle. And when Thursday hits, the shutters roll up and the locals roll in. The catch here that's written up is, like the sound of beer, cheese, meat and music. Yes, I do. Roll on Thursdays. Now, the pub that I'm actually choosing for my uh, Only Here for the Beer this week is over in Liverpool. It's the Baltic Fleet, uh, so not too far away. And what I love about this, it's that it's, if you've ever been up there, if you, if you listen, you know where I'm on about. It's on the Albert Dock, grade two listed building, as much of the big ones in Liverpool are. Really, really distinct sort of flat iron shape because it's it, being on the dock, it's obviously very nautical themed. Um, and there's a great speculation that it was used as smugglers back in the day because there's, there's a lot of tunnels and things around around there but I remember it well I was up over at the docks I was on the night out in Liverpool we went down there and uh, if I remember right there was drinking a lot of Robinson's Trooper because that's only brewed down the road in Manchester and I like that beer anyway uh, so my here for the beer uh, is the Baltic uh, Fleet but of course that tap room the Black Lodge Brewery is definitely on my hit list for the next time I'm up there I've set myself a task and then failed at it myself um, because I've been <laughs> looking through the good beer guide trying to find a, a tap room that I've been to. But so I'm gonna I'm gonna mention one that I really like. So Bermondsey Beer Mile is fantastic. I've been on a few uh, had a few great days, kind of going sampling all the beers down there. And I know there's one for pure base camp. It's this massive place in an industrial estate. It's absolutely huge. It is very, really industrial. As you say, beautiful with the, the stores and that in the background. Um, and but it's it, it's really buzzy. It's all it's always really busy. And it manages to feel cozy even though it's really big as well. So I'd say the tap room. That's fantastic. I can't find it in the good beer guide. I apologise if it is in there. I haven't found it. So I will pick a pub that I went to last week when I was on holiday in Cornwall, at the Plume of Feathers in Port Scaffo. Uh, down Ooh. in Cornwall, absolutely fantastic, a wonderful um, view. If you sit out, you can kind of see um, down onto the ocean, and it does St. Austell beers. Oh, uh, yeah. Perfectly served, absolutely the terroir, as we talked about a few podcasts ago, perfectly there. It's felt like a real taste of Cornwall, so that's my location this week. Sounds you can't fantastic. go wrong, can you? You can't go wrong with a proper job, can you? Absolutely. Nah, fantastic it was, yeah. And just to mention, because um, we're only here for the beer, is our dip into the good beer guide every episode. And the current edition, the 2021 edition, is on special offer on the Canberra website at the moment. So uh, I think for members, it's actually half price, but it's special offer for everyone. So if you haven't got your copy yet, now would be a good time to do so while stocks last, I guess. And uh, yeah, while stocks last, everybody, get in there yeah, quick. Get in there I'm quick. buying them right now. I'm on the- <laughs> <laughs> And don't forget, them. you need to get yourself a good highlighter to mark all them off. Oh. Oh, yes, definitely. I've got different highlighters for different things, but perhaps I'm just a bit too sad, really. Anyway, let's, 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 let's move swiftly on to our second interview, shall we? I'll put on my different highlighters. Just hang on, just put the pink one down. Um, this is a, a really amazing story of how someone loved a particular cider so much that when they couldn't find it to buy again, they ended up trying to recreate it themselves. Yeah, I like this one. We're going to hear Alison Taft's interview with James Finch, and I've got to tell you, I've just discovered what a hand scratter actually is it's basically like a coarse mincer that chews up the apples so that you can put them in the cider press without further ado let's hear about one man's passion to rediscover a cider he really loved i'm here with james finch 
James is very well known in cider circles for his reviews as a cider critic and his video, How to Taste Cider and Other Cider Content, on the Camera Learning and Discovery website. He has been a hobby cider maker for some time and has recently planted an orchard of 30 cider apple trees in Lincolnshire as part of his more commercial chapel cider project. James, when did you start making cider and how did it happen? I started making cider in about 2017, I think, so I've been doing it about four years. I got into cider relatively late in my 20s after a visit down in Somerset with some friends and we visited a cider farm there and I tasted something that I was in awe of uh, and then spent several years trying to kind of find something that was like that again, which Lincolnshire didn't have very much in that side of cider. I worked my way through what was available, but got a bit thirsty to try and find that initial wonderful drink that I'd tasted on holiday that time um, and started exploring and went across to Herefordshire and visited different cider makers. And I found that the more time I spent with them, I just kind of fell in love with it and wanted to have a go myself. So I started on a very small scale with some home cider making kit. So I had a couple of demijohns. And uh, my father-in-law had a six-litre hobby press and a hand scratter. We had some apple trees in their garden and we planted some ourselves in, in, in ours. And so we started making it in about 2017. It was harder than I think I'd uh, let myself realise it would be. But um, we gave it a really good go, made, uh, you know, nine, ten litres, something like that. And it was very sharp because I've got eating varieties and, and bramleys. Uh, but it tasted all right and uh, it came out fairly well. And I've just kind of built up from there, kind of exploring it a little more each year. So the next year after that, I think I bought some juice from Ross and White, Herefordshire, only only 25 litres or so, and did a bit of an experiment with that. So I brought the juice over that they'd pressed and then I fermented it myself. Um, and what was really interesting about that was taking it back to Ross and comparing to to their batch of the same juice and how things were different. So all these little things that I learned on the journey kind of made me want to do it even more. And as you said, I've gone up to a bit more of a commercial scale where I've planted my own trees. So I've got an orchard of about 30 mainly cider varieties. Uh, the trees are only three years old now, so it's going to be at least a couple more years before they're at productive yield. Um, so in the interim, I've kind of bought in some more juice again, some from Herefordshire and also some from Devon. You mentioned scratter, James. Give us a very brief rundown of what, uh, what happens when you're making cider. The first thing you need to obviously do is source your fruit, whether you have your own apple trees or whether you've got trees uh, in your neighbour's gardens or the village. The first thing you need to do is break that apple down into chunks so that you kind of maximise releasing the juice. So the scratter is basically a series of hooked blades as you turn the handle Uh, it mashes the apple up and the hobby stuff is good it's not as efficient as the mainstream equipment but if you're doing it as a hobby a hand scratter is a cheap way to to have a go you know see how you get on you mash up the apples into a bit of a pulp and then the the hobby press that i started with is just kind of a slatted wooden slatted press that's got a, a a plate with raised edges at the bottom and there's a net in the middle so you fill your crushed apple into the mesh Uh, put wooden plates on the top and it's a screw press so as I turn the screw around it pushes down on the apple and forces the the juice out of the sides of the slats. To give you kind of an example of the yield it would probably take me about four or five pressings to fill my demijohn which is four and a half litres. How long is the juice fermenting for in your demijohn there? It depends on how you want to initiate that fermentation. You can leave the wild yeasts Those are good yeasts that can give you um, great flavour and there are others uh, and bacteria that could spoil it. In a lot of hobby shops, they'll sell you 
um, sulfite tablets. You crush one of those up and you pop it in the demijohn with the juice. And what that does is it's just enough sulfite to kind of kill off those yeast that will produce the off flavors. Or you can buy a cultured yeast and they will basically take over the fermentation. So it depends on how you want to start. Yeah, so taking control of your yeast um, to begin with, but then eventually you went to using wild yeast, did you, James? Uh, I've done a combination, actually. I've been experimenting with white wine yeast and uh, and some wild and also some cider yeast to see what flavours I get. Roughly how long do you think it might take for your first sort of batch of cider to ferment? If you're using demijohns as, you know, as a small go at it and you're doing it inside the house, keeping 20 degrees or so, mm. it should ferment relatively quickly. So you'll find that the kind of primary fermentation will be over in a matter of weeks. It'll pick up speed quite quickly and um, it, it could be over from from anything from two to six weeks it'll be finished it'll slow right down where there's hardly any sugar left once that initial fermentation has started to slow down what you can do is rack it into another container because as the yeast do their job and they die they sink to the bottom and so what you want to do is take the cider off of that lees in the bottom of the demijohn and put it into a fresh one that helps you get a clearer cider yeah so you can just sort of maybe do that once or twice can you just to get a nice clear cider out of it Definitely. In fact, the more you do it, as you rack off multiple times, you leave not only the dead yeast behind, but some of the live yeast and some of the nutrient. And so multiple rackings can result in kind of a a sweeter cider without having to add any sugar at the end or or do any preserving. Yeah, so you can choose your style almost through that that approach. If you were going to make cider for the first time, knowing what you know now, what style cider would you make first? There's part of me that wants to be true to my location, um, which is over in the east in Lincolnshire, where you know we don't traditionally grow cider apple varieties, which are you know more tannic, have a lot more phenols in, and more you know more texture and bitterness. Whereas over here we've got eating apples that are a bit more fruity and acidic, much less tannin. I think I would actually stay with the kind of first one I tried to make, which was a blend of the two. I think there's a real harmony if you can get kind of that really bright, fresh acid-driven Eastern County apple and mix it with a bit of those really strong tannic cider apples. That's kind of real cider that inspired me to go on my journey was uh, a bottle called Gordon's Surprise from Ross on Wye. And it was a blend of 80% Dabernet and 20% Bramley. And it was at that point that I thought, hang on a minute, eating apples really have a place and can work together with cider apples. And so that was one of the first blends I tried to to recreate to see if I could make something similar. So the, uh, the blend that inspired you? I agree with you. I think sometimes we don't think enough about what eating apples and cooking apples can bring to a cider blend, and it's an exciting one. It gives you even more tools in your toolkit to blend something interesting, I guess. If you were going to make some cider for the first time, what are the pitfalls that I need to be looking out for? Well, the first thing I'd say to you is buy Andrew Lee's book called Craft Cider Making, which is about £10 on Amazon, because it's full of amazing information, whatever level of cider maker you are. Even the big craft makers still refer to it. So I'd recommend getting that and having a good read of it, because it kind of points out the basics, the pitfalls, the faults, how to get a good cider, how to experiment a bit more, things you can develop with, all, all, a lot of the stuff that we've already talked about. If I looked back at the kind of things that I wish I'd known at the beginning, it would have been cleanliness. Make sure everything is clean, especially the equipment that's going to come into contact with the juice. Particularly when you're racking, make sure all of your tubes and your demijohns are all sterile and clean because it's very easy for cider to get contaminated and go off. Make sure you protect it from oxygen. Cider just wants to become vinegar. If you let it be exposed to air what will happen is that that alcohol will turn to acetic acid. So use your airlocks, 
open that minimally if you're going to try it and see how it's progressing you know don't do it every day because you'll just be letting in too much oxygen maybe not so at the start because it's quite active and you've got lots of carbon dioxide coming off but as it slows down you, you risk contaminating it and maybe wa- make sure you wash your fruit make sure your fruit is clean especially where people might have just picked it up off the garden give it a good wash and cut out any of the rotten bits it sounds like hard work james i have to say and <laughs> um, have you ever made perry i was kind of hoping you wouldn't ask me that. <laughs> <laughs> because i have and i have tried it so i've got a conference pear tree in my garden now traditionally the purists would say that perry can only be made from perry pears and they have lots of tannin and bitterness uh, and they're very tiny and you don't want to eat them but they make a marvelous drink so i was very naive i think thinking that i could make it quite simply from just pressing conference pears conference are very mushy if you leave them too long but also because conference pears are kind of low in acid they're quite a sweet fruit and they don't have a lot of tannin either they're quite susceptible to things going wrong and there's a certain bacteria that creates a fault called mouse and it's called that because it kind of tastes and smells like the bottom of a mouse cage i got that in my perry and it's happened every time i've tried to do it i was so put off by what i created that i haven't haven't given it another go which cider in the end have you made that you've been most pleased with? Back in 2019, when I was racking into different containers, I had a little bit left over. It was about 20 litres of Dabinet juice, and it was bone dry because it had finished fermenting. And I still had a couple of demijohns off Bramley. It was just about enough amount to blend the two and create a cider that was still fermenting, but only very slowly. And you can bottle that in a champagne bottle, and it will create a gentle sparkle. And so I bottled it. And then I let it continue to ferment in that bottle and it just tastes great. And I wish I had more of it. One final question. What's your desert island cider apple? It's always dabbing it for me. It's got such a unique flavour to it. You get loads of orange and spice. It often plays second fiddle to Kingston Black, which is revered as the king of cider apples. But for me, it's definitely dabbing it. I wrote an article a long while back, which is available on ciderreview.com now, where I tasted 16, 17 different single variety dabbing And yeah, that's definitely my favourite apple. Thank you so much for sharing your experience with us. It's been really interesting. Thanks, James. No problem. Thanks for chatting to me. I have to say that is an amazing story. I'm not sure how many home cider brewers would go to the lengths of buying their own orchard and then waiting for years for the trees to be ready to crop. Yeah, you'd have to be really stupid to do that, wouldn't you? I've got to say, yeah, I don't know anyone else that does that, do you? (laughs) But, you know, I think it's a great plan to start off buying the juice from cider producers and then try out blending the varieties and different yeast types. It is a lot of hard work pressing those apples, and at least that's already been done for you that way. Yeah, the idea of cider wanting to turn into vinegar if you allow too much oxygen, you know, I certainly think that my mind wants to turn into something that isn't what I've made it. That's what <laughs> um, it, it, it did remind me a bit of the way I, I remember talking to uh, some guys previously about this, about where a New England IPA will oxidise really easily if you don't keep it blanketed in carbon dioxide during the fermentation process. Oh. So it's almost like it will, ju- it will take any opportunity to, uh, to jump down there and oxidise and yeah. inside this case turn into vinegar. So it's an unruly beast. And that's, that's the beauty of cider, well, a natural product. You know, yeah. it's really difficult to kind of forge into the thing that you want to make it to. And, you know, if it turns into vinegar, take it to the church fair on Sunday and shift it as such, you know? 
Yeah, put it on my chips. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's one of the sort of reasons that, that puts me off trying to, to do any sort of home brewing because there are so many things that, that could potentially go wrong if you don't do everything exactly as it should be. And I'm sure there'll be people listening who have got similar stories of um, homebrew beer or, or cider production, good or bad, things that went disastrously wrong, things that do fantastically well. And obviously you can let us know on Twitter um, and also perhaps we'd like to hear how common it is for community groups to buy expensive items like cider presses so that people can share them because I'm sure there are people who've got apple trees that are swamped with apples some years and, and just can't use them. So community groups making cider, do let us know again on, on Twitter and share your stories. Well, let's turn into those archives for the last time and let's go and pick a year at complete random, 1978. Why not? We've never done that year before. It's May edition this time. Uh, and we're looking at what's brewing. Uh, remember, that's digital now, so if you've still got paper copies, get them up on the wall and in frames. But um, if we look at this edition today, if we go back far enough in history, it's fair to say that home brewing was the only brewing there was. And at a time when drinking water could be very bad for you, home brew beer was a staple part of the diet. I mean, it even formed wages in kind for labourers and servants. And in fact, we know that the workers who built the pyramids of Egypt were paid partly in beer. Wow, because brewing was a home-based activity. It was the women of the house who were the brewers. And it was only when beer production started on an industrialist scale that, that men really got involved. And then in 1880, Gladstone's Inland Revenue Act stated that anyone brewing beer, whether it was for sale or not, had to register, obtain a licence, keep records of what they brewed and, of course, pay the duty on their beer. Yeah, so they took it from, you know, fun to nightmare. Indeed, it was a, a sad time indeed. That Gladstone, you know, a good Prime Minister, but not a fun guy, <laughs> by, by all accounts. Uh, it, is, it is a sad time. I mean, what it's led to is that with today's rate of duty, you'll pay about 10.5p per percentage ABV of beer that you drink. So a 5% beer would have about 52p of duty charge. Not bad maths that for me, that was it? That was yeah, quick very maths. good. Was working like that. And then 20% VAT slapped on the sales price as well. So obviously Camer is campaigning for a reform of the duty and tax on beer to help out our pubs. Yeah, it never got any easier, and the consequences of the Inland Revenue Acts were that home brewing was driven underground for the next 83 years, right up until 1963 when duty was removed, as long as the beer wasn't for sale. But of course, HMRC still have the last laugh because at the time this article was published in What's Brewing, then-Chancellor Dennis Healy had just added VAT to homebrew products. Even so, saving money was noted as one of the key reasons to brew at home because you got about 5 to 8p for a pint, which was about a third of what you pay for in a pub. Cool. That's prices for 1978, remember? And and homebrew was probably, in, in some cases, a, a lot better than some of the keg beer that you could get at the pub. Sadly, though, all those talk about years gone by, the price of beer back in 1978. Um, at, what are we looking at between 15p and and. 20-odd a pint? I can't believe yeah, it. Yeah. It has brought us to the end of the podcast, the end of season three. You know how to get in touch if you've got suggestions for season four, of course, but we can't leave you without our last, last orders. And uh, what have you all been drinking this week? Well, just before we recorded this, we were celebrating Beer Day Britain on the old Twitter, weren't we? Hashtag cheers to beer. It was lovely to see some photos put up there. Me and my camera T-shirt. Was one of them joining <laughs> joining the throng, but uh, I've actually decided that I'm going to end with a cider. 
as you would have thought I would. Very good. And I've got yes. an, an interesting one uh, this time. It's Courtney's Cider, and it's called Crispy Bacon. And it's oh. a cider made in tribute to the pig that they had at the cider farm. It was called Crispy. No, oh, no way. Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> crispy Bacon. Crispy Bacon. There's a poem on the side of the bottle called Ode to Crispy. And uh, one of the lines, it said... It's, <laughs> He ate all the apples, and in a very short time, he was 20 stone nine. (laughs) (laughs) I just love it. So so basically, it was the story of a pig who loved an apple as much as I do. Be welcome in my orchard. Wouldn't wouldn't feed very well, but he'd be welcome any time. That's why I want to end the season with that. I wonder if he had a, a sister called Apple Sauce or something, perhaps. I, um, I hope they've got a whole series of these. I'm going to look them up. Crispy <laughs> Bacon. Brilliant. Love that. Well, I have got, I have been treated this week for my last orders, and I'm glad it's my last last orders. Uh, I've ended with this one. So I'm over in Bedford. I'm Bedford-based, and not too far from us is a very shiny and new place called Brewpoint. Brewpoint in Bedford, which is part of Wells & Co., and um, they recently reopened for, for you to be able to go back inside obviously once we were able to go indoors and they have produced a limited edition mini keg called chocolate toothpaste and it's a stout it's 5.6 percent it's it was inspired by um toothpaste cake which is a local delicacy over this part of the world it's really smooth dead unctuous really indulgent and um whilst of course it was very hot a very hot day it was just such a delicious drink nice roasted notes on there and of course really deep chocolate and coffee flavors very out of sorts drink for the weather we've been having but chocolate toothpaste oh my goodness yum 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 came away with a keg very reasonably priced and i must say if you've not been up to that brew point in bedford yet and you're in the area go and check it out really amazing place I remember once going round the the brewery years ago. Um, I think they used to sponsor the rugby team. That's in, right, yeah. In Bedford at the time, and um, they held a sort of end of season party for them in the in the brewery. As I imagine, rugby players like parties, for want of a better word, in breweries. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was a re- really interesting evening to um, to have a tour of the brewery. I'm. Going a little further afield, actually, I'm I'm picking a Norfolk beer for my last orders this week and had a couple of days in Norfolk, found a lovely pub, which was a little bit off the, the tourist track, so it wasn't sort of massively crowded because obviously with nobody going abroad at the moment, a lot of touristy places are massively crowded. But this pub wasn't. I had a pint of a brewery called, it was Moongazer Brewery. Uh, they're based at Hindringham in Norfolk and they do a beer called Jigfoot Golden Ale, which is 4%. It's a real sort of good, solid, traditional golden ale, very refreshing. And all their beers are named after things to do with wildlife. And Jigfoot, I think, is something to do with um, how the, the brown hair moves or, or sort of kind of dances across the field. So really interesting names for their beers. Uh, I do like the, the Moongazer Brewery. Their website is fantastic if you have a look at it and read all their stories on it. And I certainly recommend a pint of Jigfoot Golden Ale. Did you walk out like a hare doing a dance after a few jig foots, Claire? Um, I, I only had the one pint, so um, so not on this occasion, but I, I can't say that it won't happen in future. Wonderful. 
Right then, folks, that's our last, last orders of season three. What a season it has oh, been. Oh, yeah. It has. So, uh, we just want to say a big thank you to everybody who helps with the podcast, who contributes in so many different ways. We've got our maestro on the Twitter. We've got everybody involved with writing the scripts and editing, everybody who's done an interview for us, everybody involved with editing. There are, there are too many people for us to, to name all of them. We just want to give a massive thank you to you all because it just wouldn't happen with no. all of those different people no, volunteering and helping. No. It's a massive team effort to bring this to you. And remember as well, there are loads of ways that you can get involved with season four. So don't be shy, folks. Get in touch. Give us your ideas. Tell us what you want to hear in the podcast and tell us how you can get involved. We'd love to hear from you. We certainly would. And with that, I'm raising my glass. I'm sure you two are as well. And to all those listening uh, for now and in the future, it's a big, fat cheers. 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 Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. How does a free case of beer sound? Yes, you can grab a case for free courtesy of our pals at Beer52 by going to www.beer52.com forward slash people. That's the numbers 52 in the 52 and covering the meagre postage cost of £5.95. And what's more, as a special offer for our listeners, they'll throw in two extra beers for free. So that's 10 unique craft beers. Beer52 is actually the biggest beer club in the world. Each month, they send their members a case of beer from a different part of the world, and this month it's an absolute belter. Their great European road trip case takes in the best beers from across the continent. So try a crisp, refreshing Pilsner from Norway's Lervig Brewery and a monster 7.5 double IPA from Sweden's Derges Brewery. On the dark side this month, there's a smooth stout from Copenhagen's Tool. There's also beer from Croatia... 
Poland, Germany, Serbia and Austria, among others. And if dark beer's not your thing, you can choose the light-only case. Also included is the ever-insightful Ferment magazine and a couple of tasty snacks. And even if, after all that, you're still unsatisfied, you can simply pause or cancel at any time. So head over to www.beer52, that's the numbers 5 and 2, dot com forward slash people to claim your free case of 10 beers now. <laughs> 